This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is you Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates, a podcast that follows our journey of investing. Whether you're an absolute beginner or approaching Warren Buffett status, our aim is to help break down your barriers from beginning to dividend. My name is Bryce, and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How are you going? I'm very good, Bryce. I'm excited for this episode. We always talk about how more and more investing can be truly global. Us as retail investors have more and more access around the world. The great news is that podcasting is also truly global and we have the opportunity to speak to experts all around the world and I'm very excited for this one because we've got someone joining us all the way from Malta. Love it. Well, it is our pleasure to welcome Daniel Gladys to the show. Daniel, welcome. Yeah. Good morning. Um, Thanks for the invitation. Not a problem. We are excited for this one. And if you haven't come across Daniel before, he's the founder of Vlatava Fund, a value-focused, research-driven hedge fund launched in 2004, making it the oldest hedge fund in Central Europe. So plenty uh, plenty to unpack there. We first came across Daniel through his recent shareholder letter titled, What Oil Prices Are Telling Us. So uh, we're going to be unpacking all of that uh, in today's episode, as well as uh, Daniel's thoughts on current market conditions, inflation. There's just so much to chat about. But Daniel, one the way we like to start our uh, interviews is with uh, an introduction to yourself. And we like to understand the story of our guest's first investment. So if you um, think back to when you first started thinking about investing and, and uh, putting your money to work, can you share the story of your first investment? I would have to go back about 30 years uh, in my memories. Uh, <laughs> so I, I, I spent, it's actually an interesting story. I spent 20 one years of my life, the first 21 years, living in a, in a communist country, in a, in a country that was called Czechoslovakia then. So you can imagine there was an, almost no private ownership, no private property, no business, no stock market, no no, no investments. Not, none of these things existed or, or even crossed our minds. But then in 89, the, uh, the Berlin Wall fell down and communism collapsed. And a couple of years later, we... We had a large stock exchange open in, up in Prague and uh, it was all new, exciting world uh, open up for us. And uh, so I took my student savings that I got from picking fruit and stuff like that uh, in, on, on farms and bought, bought my first investment portfolio. And then um, from the moment 
I was comp completely hooked. I, I had no idea what I was doing. That, that's true. But uh, our market had a big boom uh, just when I entered it. So it made, made, made it easier. But then at the same year, in 1993, we started uh, a brokerage company with two of my friends. And it uh, became a member of the Prague Stock Exchange. And uh, we, we focused on institutional investors. And I was serving the foreign investors. So I had customers like uh, uh, Jeremy Grant and GMO or... or uh, about post and then when I was visiting them in the US and in, in, in London, I listened to their stories and how they invest around the world and I it became immediately clear to me that I don't want to be a broker. I want to be, so to speak, on the other side of the phone, you know, someone who's running the money. So a couple of years later we sold uh, a brokerage company and I became a portfolio manager and uh, about 18 years ago we started uh, uh, a tower fund and uh, here we are. Still today. So. Here we are, Daniel. We've interviewed a number of. Long time ago. <laughs> we've interviewed a lot of people over the years, but I can say that's the first time someone has had the end of communism in Europe and uh, you know a stock exchange opening as the start of their very first investment. I, I can only imagine what yeah. how exciting and how different it must have been. Um, but look, you uh, you've been running this uh, hedge fund since two thousand and four. Um, You've seen a lot of different market conditions over that time. Have you developed a personal investing philosophy? Yes, we, we have. Um, the philosophy remains pretty much the same. What, what has been changing over time is how I describe it. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, uh, my, my current, uh, my current uh, description goes like this. You know, I, um, I tend to see companies as, as, uh, as entities where people create value you know, with their, with their effort, with their work, with their ideas, you know, with their risk-taking, etc. And that, that value creation in the combination with the capital that the companies have at their disposal and the investment rates that they can reinvest in them uh, creates a lot of value and I just want to be part of it, you know. So uh, that's a simple story, but uh, <laughs> this is how we describe it right now. So we're looking for companies that we think we, we understand that have a lot of... Uh, uh, of that human factor and that also have a uh, high um, returns on capital because that that pretty much is 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 is, is a necessity uh if you if you if you want to look for something that where really value is being created at a, at a high, high speed yeah I love that idea of a company is just a vehicle for people to create value and and one of your one of your shareholder letters that we'll touch on a little bit later titled please allow me to introduce you talk about a number of those people leading the companies uh, that you are, you're investing in. Um, but before we get there, you have also written two books, Learn to Invest and Stock Investments. Everyone should go and pick up those books. But for people listening who have, this is the first time they've come across um, you, what, what are some of the, I guess, the key lessons or the key takeaways that you're really trying to get across mm. to people in those, in those books? The key takeaways would be that uh, as an investor, you only really needs to master two things. One is to know how to value a business because you always have to think uh, in, uh, in two t different, different terms, the price and the value. You know, you should be trying to buy something for less than it's worth. So the price should be less than the value. So you should have some, some understanding of what the value is. And that, 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 is, that applies for all kinds of investments, not, not just equities. You know, it can be private equity, it can be real estate, it can be anything, you know. And, and then the other thing you, you, you need to master is uh, how to handle or how to approach the market movements. You know? So it has to something to do with your own 
psychology, your own discipline, uh, having long-term view, etc. So that would be the key takeaway. The second book is more or less extension of the first one and also talks more about the current investment environment we are living in. That is environment of you know long-term negative interest rates and environment where money are losing uh, its purchasing power faster than before and uh, how to how to adapt to that you know mm. well speaking of the current environment we're in we're really interested to get your thoughts on oil specifically so let's leave that uh, for a, a conversation in a moment H- how would you sum the, the current environment that we're in at the moment um, you know, a lot of macro headwinds that we're coming into, inflation, interest rates. If you were to sort of take a few moments to, yeah, just uh, summarize or give us your thoughts on the current environment that we're that we're facing at the moment. I, I think the, the key to everything is is to realize that we whatever happens, we're probably going to have real negative interest rates for a very long time. You know? Because in the past, usually when there was a high inflation, um, we have to go, Quite, quite way back uh, in the developed markets. Uh, it was usually accompanied by very high interest rates um, and usually interest rates higher than inflation rates. Uh, while this time uh, we have quite high inflation everywhere, but interest rates still remain extremely low. You know? So that's, a, that's an unparalleled uh, environment and it would probably remain like that because um, the leverage in the system, especially at the level of governments, is so high that most of governments are not able to sustain high interest rates. So we're going to have an environment where the money debasement basically continue faster and faster because, um, you know, the, the money will be losing its value. So that's uh, that basically if you look around, for uh, uh, you know, and consider various investment opportunities, it completely disqualifies all fixed income uh, assets, basically, right? Because anything you buy, you're guaranteed to make loss in real terms. Mm. So you have to look only basically into assets where where you own something, own some property, own some equity that is able to create value and compensate at least partially for the for the money debasement. So that's that's that. And of course this is a long term view, but currently currently there are many other uncertainties, you know, that the inflation is too high, you know, too 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 fast. Uh, you have a lot of disruptions still on the supply side, both from the COVID and both from the from the, from the war. There's an energy crisis brewing all around the world, which we might talk about later. Um, so there's a lot of uncertainties, but there's there's always uncertainties in in, in in the market. You will never reach a point where you 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 would be able to say, okay, right now we have no uncertainties. You know? <laughs> so that's that's. I think pretty normal anyway. That would yeah. that would be nice. That would be very nice. Yeah. <laughs> well, if we, if if people think that we are in a in a situation where there's actually no risk on the horizon, then probably the the asset would be extremely expensive because that would be already already <laughs> showing the prices, and uh, so you cannot expect to have low prices and blue sky at, at the same time. You know, mm. So. Uh, yeah, we'll um we'll touch on the energy situation in a minute um and about your investor letter, what oil prices are telling us. Before we get there, it it, it must be a quite an interesting time in Europe. Interesting might not be the right word, but um the European Central Bank looking at raising interest rates for the first time in eleven years. At the same time, concerns that about Italy's debt in particular and what high interest rates um could lead to. 
the whole uh, Russia-Ukraine uh, situation, Germany's reliance on Russian gas situation aside, it feels like there are other crises brewing in Europe as well. How do you how do you say it from the continent? Yeah, it's not good. <laughs> yeah, um, the the, the uh, euro as a common currency for for uh, many states is is really a problem because you. you you have one central bank, European central bank, that still keeps interest rates at minus half percent, right? Then you have countries like Italy or Spain, where inflation is like ten percent. But you also have countries like Estonia that is using euro euros and have heavy uh, inflation at twenty percent, mm. and they still have minus half percent interest rates, and they can do nothing about it because they cannot raise interest rates. They cannot, you know, change exchange rate, you know, uh, anyhow because they don't have their own currency. So it's it's totally uh, I think it's un- unworkable. And then you, you have uh, you have the, the ECB still hasn't started raising rates, despite the fact that the eurozone inflation is over nine percent. And the Italy, Italy is already complaining about high fixed income rates, so high high bond rates. So this is really insane. So the only thing that the ECB has come up with recently is that they will stop buying bonds from the better countries. So. So Germany and maybe Netherlands, but they, they will keep buying the bonds from the weaker countries. So that's totally insane. So, but there's nothing nothing the individual countries can do about it. But then, then at the same time, you have the war here in Ukraine, which is which is terrible. And of course, Russia is using uh, oil and gas, uh, especially gas, as as their weapon. You know, um, they stop uh, stop supplying gas now in in summer, where, where it's not a problem. But if if they stop supplying for another six months, it might be a big problem in winter because uh, people will be cold. <laughs> and at the same time in Germany, there's still this green idea, this green thinking going on. They're still going to switch off their last remaining nuclear power station at the end of the year. So, you know, this is making all, the whole situation even worse. So, but as an investor, you can do many things. You can ignore Europe. I mean, you can invest in other parts of the world. Uh, you can hedge the currencies. You know, you can uh, short. You know, you can try to buy European companies, which are really global companies. So there's there's many ways around that. But still, it's uh, from the macro macro point of view, it's very very complicated. Mm. So Daniel, um, you've written the letter. Uh, that we w- want to chat to you about today, um, all around the price of oil and the impact that it's um, it's going to have. Called what oil prices are telling us. So let's start with the here and now. I think oil price uh, a barrel of crude is about a hundred dollars a barrel. Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, it has been up as high as about 140 over the last few months. Um, what what is the current like? Is this a high price for a price of oil a barrel right now? W- what's the state of oil? right now well for, for for people that got used to oil around 50 or 60s in the last two or three years 100 110 may seem high okay but uh, 2008 was 140 but if you adjust it for inflation you know the oil would have to go nearly to 200 today to be at the same level you know adjusted for inflation so it can still go go much much higher and uh, i'm afraid it will go uh, much higher because that's where our analysis of supply and demand uh, lead us. Yeah, and so on the supply and demand point, um, there's been a a lot of commentary about the underinvestment in the 2010s from the oil companies. Is that the key reason why you think 
it could go higher or what are the other factors that you think uh, yeah could- well on, on the demand side on the demand side you, you have um, currently uh, 101 million or 102 million of barrels cons- consumed every day so that's the current state of the demand the demand uh, can move up around uh, you know it can drop in recession it, it dropped a lot for a couple of quarters uh, in 2020 when the whole world shut down but generally it tends to rise about one percent every year so you, you can think of another million barrel per day next year another one next year and because a lot of people think uh, naively that we will not need much more oil very soon you know but these people tend to live in, in places like germany and california but they forget that the world is actually more china and india and latin america and africa the people there are much poorer and they also want to have uh, more comfortable life you know they want to you know have more uh, want to become richer and you know if they do and I, I, I wish them to, to do so then their their energy consumption would grow much much higher because they still consume a fraction of what the West consumes and very large part of that will be from fossil fuels including oil so you, you can expect that the demand will continue rising now on the supply side <laughs> the, the thing is that the oil companies would love to produce more, but they're basically being told that they are evil because they're producing oil. Okay, so while in the previous peak in 2008, um, every oil company was trying to drill and drill and drill and acquire assets and acquire other companies and grow, and they grew too much. Uh, right now, they don't want to invest because. Um, it, it makes hard, life harder for them because the governments, the politicians, very often their own shareholders are pushing them to lower emissions. So they say to themselves, okay, so why, why would we make life harder for us? You know, let's just use the free cash flow and pay to shareholders. And basically they, they don't invest enough. And uh, if you look at the amount of investments that went into the oil sector in the last five or seven years, it's been declining and actually is, is uh, at historical lows or 15 year low. And it's sufficient, that's simply not enough to sustain the current level of production because you have a depletion of oil production, you know, like 3 to 6% every year. So you need to invest a lot of money just to stay at the same level of production, you know, let alone to, to increase it. So that's, uh, that's where we are. And, 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 and it's also important to, to know that, to realize that the, the supply can react the supply side, but the reaction time is, is very long. You know, you, you, if you start increasing your investments into new, new development and production today, you will not see anything within 12 months, okay? You will need two, three, four years uh, to see something. So basically, companies need to see much higher oil price for longer, convince themselves that they want to invest. Mm. So that's... And so, and so that's the supply side. You know, they they need to be confident of higher prices uh, that that the higher prices will last. Um, and then there's a the time lag while they get oil production up and running. So then, then the question turns to the demand side, and this is where the term demand destruction comes in. And you know, oil is it's pretty inelastic. People, uh, the demand hasn't really softened uh, as it you know sits over a hundred dollars a barrel. How do you think about the demand side and, and where we might start mm. seeing demand uh, fall off? The demand side is, the demand, demand curve is very inelastic, as you said. And uh, in 2008, when, when oil was 140, we still didn't see any demand, demand destruction. 
And I, I don't think we see it yet. And that's despite the fact that actually the gas prices, I mean, for, 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 for cars are actually much higher than the oil would suggest because they also reflect the refining margins, which are also at record high because you just don't have enough refineries because no one, no one would let uh, any, any to be built. So I, we don't see any demand destruction. It's also important to realize that only only a smaller part of oil is actually used for transportation. You know, they're, they're always used for other things, for energy generation. And right now in Europe, when Russia stops supplying gas, some power, station, power stations will be switching from gas to oil. So it's actually quite bullish for oil. Then oil is also used for plastics. I mean, for, 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 I, I don't know what you're wearing, but I bet that it's made from gas. Uh, or oil, you know, it's uh, every, every, every fiber, every plastic, mm. medicine, um, fertilizers, you know, there, there's a lot of, lot of uses for oil that the world cannot live without, you know. So I, I don't see any demand destruction happening uh, anytime, anytime soon. Mm. Big bull case for oil. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Daniel, there's a, one of the headings in your, in your letter is politicians are making the whole situation still worse. So can you can you elaborate on that for us? Well, it's, it's basically what, what I said. You know, the, the the green agendas are basically pushing oil companies not to not to produce. Okay, so that, that the hurdles are quite high for them, you know, to, to overcome. Um, also, the the governments are coming with uh, brilliant ideas like windfall tax. Okay, of, on oil companies because they think that, that their profits today are unjustified. But if you want Lower oil prices, what you need first, if you, you need to have a lot of profits for all companies so, so that they can invest, okay? If you, if you tax that money away right now, then they will not invest, you know? So th- this is not going to decrease oil price. And at the same time, they're subsidizing the demand, you know, because they see that, you know, gas, you know, petrol is expensive and, and heating is expensive. So they're basically giving out subsidies to, to consumers, which perversely is, 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 is you know, Delaying the demand destruction, so that that's the whole the whole situation is making making it uh, uh, even worse. You know, so that that it's, it's very difficult environment for all companies to to deal. You know, I, I'm I'm no uh, fanatic for fossil fuel for fossil fuels. You know, it's not, I'm I'm not talking about what I wish to happen mm. um, because I think it's important to realize that investing is not about what you wish to happen, but what you think will happen. And it, these are these can be completely two different things. So you no, know, I. I also want oil to go to, to go lower. I want living to be cheaper. I want the environment to be cleaner. But uh, the world is not. The world doesn't care what I wish, you know. So I I I I, sh- I should invest, reflecting what I think will happen and what I wish to happen. So I'm. This is what I'm talking about. Yeah, it is a it is a funny uh, situation we found ourselves in this year. For years, ESG investing was the. The, you know the the biggest buzzword and the big the hottest part of the market and all of a sudden everyone realized that the transition hasn't happened yet and oil and you know we're we're in Australia and coal companies are some of the best performers of this year and it's yeah. not it's not because people say the future there it's just because we're still in 2020 no, I think I think the, the politicians have, have, have totally wrong uh, vision of how fast things can change you know and uh, if, if you just push too hard it will be counter counterproductive mm. this is what we're seeing right now i think because part of these high oil prices are, are definitely driven by the green policies mm. so uh daniel we 
I think we've spoken uh, enough about oil. We want to move on to some of the other positions in your portfolio. Uh, but before we do, we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So Daniel, before the break, we spoke about uh, the price of oil, what we can learn from it, where it's going, uh, all really based around one of your investor letters. Um, what oil prices are telling us. If people want to go and read that letter, they can read it on your website. Uh, but there was another uh, investor letter we came across titled, Please Allow Me to Introduce. A and we thought this was a great introduction to some of the bigger holdings in your portfolio. Mm. Um, and the, the premise of the letter is really, uh, it, it aligns with the investment philosophy introduced earlier about uh, you know, people creating this value and, and trying to find the best executives and the best entrepreneurs and, and being involved in their value creation. Um, you step through some of the the names of your list on your list, and there's some really well known, I guess, managers: Jamie Dimon from J.P. Morgan, Warren Buffett from Berkshire Hathaway, and then a number of great entrepreneurs that we haven't or that we're not as familiar with here in Australia, at least. So. Let's start with um, the two that we know quite well, and then we'll move to some of these other companies that we don't know as well. Berkshire Hathaway and JP Morgan. Why uh, are these companies big parts of your portfolio? And why do you love the managers? Well, I, I, Warren Buffett, it's, it's, <laughs> I mean, I, it's hard to come up with something that wasn't said about him, you know. Uh, you know as if I, when, I, when I was younger, I, uh, when I was younger, I, 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 I had a, I had a rock band and I, I wrote all the songs, you know, and uh, it's, it's, it's often when you write, want to write a song, it's, you always realize that Bob Dylan has already written something like that. You know? <laughs> so uh, whenever I talk about investing, uh, I always realize that Buffett has already said something like that before, you know, so he's, he's an absolute legend, you know, I mean, his performance is totally, totally amazing. Um, he basically started from zero and, 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 and grown, grown company to, 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 to today's size, you know, he made many people rich uh, during life, uh, during this uh, period, during 60 years. Uh, he inspired many investors, you know, he, 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 he wrote a lot about what he's doing, so he's an excellent teacher. And he wants to give all his money to charity, you know, so this is one of the best stories ever in, in, the, in the investment world. And his track record is now 67 years and it's probably over 20% per annum. So there's absolutely no one that can, can compare. So um, I'm, I'm extremely happy to, to be a long-term shareholder of, of, of Berkshire Hathaway, you know, because just to, not, not, not only because this is a, 
this is a great, great uh, conglomerate, great collection of businesses uh, which are undervalued and, and present quite low, low business risk. But also the idea that all these people are working for me, you know, literally, is just, uh, is just fantastic, you know. So this is the way I want to think, I tend to think about uh, buying companies. You know, if I buy JP Morgan with Jamie Diamond um, on the top of it, uh, he's working for me, you know. Uh, and even if I sleep, he's still working for me, you know. So <laughs> it's, 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 it's pretty good. And he's also an amazing man. I mean, he's been, he's been with the company for many years. Actually, he came before from from the bank one you know he, he became CEO of the company and he's been running chief uh, Morgan for many years is by far the strongest uh, um, and, and the best uh, uh, bank universal bank in, in the world and I'm you know um, I'm just amazed uh, every time by by the power I, I like a lot of invest a lot of um, companies in the financial sector because that, that's where I spent my 30 years. Uh, of my career in the working, so I I I, th- I feel I have a good understanding of uh, of the uh, of, of banks, of insurance companies, of uh, various specialty finance companies, etc. Uh, and most of the businesses are, are really driven by by uh, by people. I mean, just the investment business that we are in, basically the 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 fund a fund is a commodity product. I mean, whatever everyone says, basically it's a commodity product, and there's a huge competition. And it is extremely difficult to differentiate yourself from the competitors. But there are some that are much better than others, and they continue to be much better. So it must be, it must be because of their human skills, you know. So that that's why I, I always like companies with, with good good uh, people on the top. And if if I look at in our portfolio, we have about twenty or twenty two stocks in the portfolio, and I would say at least half of them are run by founders or people that have. Uh, uh, very large uh, portion of their own wealth in, in, in the business. So they have definitely their skin in the game and also they see the business as their own baby. I mean, Buffett has created Berkshire from nothing, basically. So he, he, he definitely runs it um, with his best effort, which is not something that's automatic in, in, in every company. Mm. So many words of wisdom in that. I, I loved yeah, it. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> so, so one, uh, another company that, uh, so that was Berkshire and, and JP Morgan, a couple of other companies we want to touch on that, uh, the community might not have heard of. And I haven't heard of this one. And, uh, forgive me if I get the pronunciation wrong. Alimentation Kushtad, Canadian convenience chain. Is that correct? Yes, yes. Nice. Nailed it. So um, <laughs> why is that in your portfolio? Do you have the same approach from a, you know, is it founder-led? Is it the people? Um, yeah, can you tell us? Yes, it's, it's, one of the, it's one of the most fascinating Canadian growth stories of the last 30 years or so. Uh, the company is uh, started by a gentleman called Alain Bouchard in the, in the French part of Canada. Uh, he started by opening one convenience store, right? And today the company has, I think, 17,000 convenience stores and, and petrol stations uh, in Canada, US, in, in, in Europe, and, and some in Asia. And uh, it's, 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 extremely, it's extremely well-run business, completely driven by, by, the, by the management, by the, by the philosophy, and I, I just love being, being part of it. You know, it's, a, it's, extremely, it's extremely well-run company. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I think uh, in your letter uh, you said he came up with the idea of keeping a store open twenty four hours a day. Yeah, that's true. 
Wow. Big innovation. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. It's funny. Spawn 7-Eleven. Yeah, it's funny in hindsight, like so many, because Bryce and I both have a retail background. Um, we worked at the two largest supermarkets um, in, in Australia, and so many of the innovations in hindsight look so obvious, but it still takes someone to, um, yeah. you know, to, to come and do it. I, I know the biggest retail award, one of the biggest retail awards in Australia is named after the guy that introduced shopping trolleys. And it's like in hindsight, well, of course that was going to be a thing, but similar to this 24 yeah. hours a day thing, it still takes someone to actually do it. Another company uh, that you did hold, I'm not sure if you still do, uh, is it Spurbank, the Russian bank? Yeah. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about the company? Uh, obviously, with everything going on in Russia at the moment, is it still a company that you like? What are your thoughts on it? Yeah, it's a a very, very exciting story with a very unfortunate ending, at least so far. You know, I first came across, I first actually was a bear among myself at the end of 1996, when it was still a post-communist dinosaur. Uh, And I've been following the company ever since. And uh, in 2007, uh, uh, um, a gentleman called... uh, um, Herman Greth became CEO and he actually turned the bank into probably the best bank in Europe, I think, right? Uh, it was extremely profitable, totally dominant position in Russia, you know, it's perfect corporate governance, extremely shareholder friendly, technologically very advanced, and we owned the stock for like six or seven or eight years, um, and it was performing extremely well. But then when it became clear to us in the beginning of this year that Russia is going to invade Ukraine, we took profit and sold the stock. And because we didn't want to have anything to do with Russia. And uh, yeah, so that's like the sad, sad ending of the story so far. You know, so it's a company that is extremely good, but unfortunately, it's in a country where the government went crazy and basically destroyed the half of the business. So I, I don't know what the management thinks about it, but if you can imagine that the CEO spent the last 14 years or 13 years creating this business, which was now half killed. I don't think he's very happy, but uh, there's nothing he can do. So, mm. um, so it's also important to think that uh, you should also be flexible, <laughs> flexible with what you do, because uh, uh, you can have. I mean, very often people fall in love with companies they own, and uh, we do as well. But uh, things change, and when things change, you have to uh, you have to you know change your thinking as well. And in this case, the change was very quick and very dramatic, and we just decided to get out and we're happy not to have anything to do with Russia anymore. Mm. So Daniel, another company that's uh, one of your top holdings, um, I believe, is Magna. Is it Magna International? Uh, can you tell us what the company does and the thesis behind yeah, it? Yeah, this I hadn't heard of this one before I read Yeah. No. Magna is an is a, a automotive car supplier, uh, probably one of the top three in the world. It's actually probably the only company in the world that can create, design, assemble, manufacture the whole car uh, from, from the beginning to the end. And they, they, this is based, it's based in Canada. Again, it's an interesting story. It was founded a couple of, several decades ago by uh, an Austrian gentleman of Austria, uh, Frank Stronach, who, who moved to Canada. And again, from, from one garage shop, he built the company to... I don't know, forty billion or forty-five billion dollars of sales. You know, so very large. Uh, he's not running it anymore because he's—I I think he might be eighty-five or ninety now. So he left ten years ago or fifteen years ago. 
but the company is still doing very well, and we, we like we like it quite a lot. You know, it's a it's a cyclical business, uh, and uh, but you know, over, over the cycle, I think is doing is doing is doing very well. Nice. So, Daniel, before we move to our final three questions, I've I've just got a f- uh, an, a question, another question. <laughs> Obviously, um, okay. we spent the first half of the this discussion talking about the macro headwinds and a lot on the oil price and where it's going and the implications on inflation and all of those sorts of things. And then we've spent this part, the second half of the interview, talking about some of the positions in your portfolio and the investment philosophy that you take from founder-led companies and having a longer-term vision. For someone who's listening at home and starting their investing journey and looking at all the headlines around inflation and oil price but then hearing about how you actually invest, does everything around oil and all of that, it, should it be something that we're focusing on? Does it really matter? What, what should be the sort of takeaway from that half of the conversation versus actually taking a long-term investing approach? One, one takeaway can be that investors should look way beyond the horizon of the current uh, events because they will end, they will change, new things will come up. Um, and I think there's long-term investing horizon Many of these things can be ignored, right? Um, so investment horizon should be sufficiently long, and with that sort of uh, uh, approach, you should be looking uh, or picking investments. I mean, our largest investment is Berkshire Hathaway, and uh, we've owned it for 11 years probably, and uh, we'll probably own it for another 11 years, you know, if the, the fate allows us. And uh, I'm sure that during the during the last 18 years, just think what what what, what happened. You know, many things happened and was quite terrible, including COVID. You know, everything shut down globally uh, overnight, which, which is totally unexpected. But the company survived. You know, the stock price is probably four times as high as, as we as we bought it in, in, in the first place. And I mean, the next 10, 11 years will also bring many things that we cannot envision today. But I'm sure it will do quite well and will be much higher 10 years from now. So this is the way I, I, I prefer to look at, at stocks. Always look beyond the current horizons because the, it's, it's completely unpredictable. Just, just think uh, six months or nine months back, you know, and would, would you say a year ago that the inflation when at that time was 2% would be 10% now? Or would you would you say that the uh, oil price would double, or gas prices would quintuple in Europe, or that, that Russia would invade Ukraine? I mean, none of these things would probably come come to your mind. And if um, you think uh, think about next three or five years, it's going to be the same, you know. Uh, so I think that that might be the takeaway. Mm. Yeah, good takeaway. Yeah, it's a good takeaway. I and I think uh, a, a second takeaway I have for this interview, Daniel, as we we move towards our final three questions, is just a reminder that there are great companies and great entrepreneurs everywhere in the world. Of the five companies we spoke about, two are in the states, two are in Canada, uh, one's in Europe, and um, there's also great investors everywhere in the world. And uh, we want to say a massive thank you for you sharing your time uh, with us and. Um, uh, I think it's about 6 a.m. Uh, over where you are, so we appreciate you uh, getting up early and, and joining us on the show. Um, if people want to find out more uh, about you, they can go to the website, and it's uh, p- apologies if I get the pronunciation wrong, uh, Vlatava, V-L-T-A-V-A, uh, dot com. So um, 
go and read the investor letters we've it's, it's actually Vltava Fund. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking so much about the pronunciation, I got the URL wrong. <laughs> uh, but yeah, people can go and read the investor letters that we've been speaking about today and uh, there's plenty more that you've written there as well. But Daniel, we move, we'll move to the final three questions. And the first one is, do you have any books that you consider must read? Yes, uh, I made a list of six. I just go quickly through them. Uh, I think everyone should read Graham's Intelligent Investor, especially chapters 8 and 20 should be read again and again and again. Uh, then Berkshire Hathaway's Letters to Investors that were published as a book are absolutely, absolute treasure. Then regarding the psychology, uh, Robert Schiller and his Rational Exuberance is excellent. And quite old book from 19th century, called Extraordinary Popular Delusions and the Madness of Crowd by Charles McKay is absolutely fantastic. Uh, and about the, psych- the, the cycles, um, Howard Marks, the most important thing I would recommend, and on valuation, anything written by uh, Mr. Damodaran. You know, he wrote several books on valuation, so you pick up any of them, basically, and that, that should help you no, value not- the businesses. That's their six great books. Yeah. Uh, I think any investor would... Uh, do very well if they read all six of those. Uh, the second question, Daniel, forget uh, valuation or what a company looks like as an investment opportunity today, just purely based on the company's fundamentals. Um, what's the best company you've ever come across? Uh, it's a big shot away. If, if you tell me I have to put all my assets in one stock and go away for five or seven years and not touch it, this would this would be the one that I would choose. Nice. And is it is it because... Uh, of the people, or is it anything about the the structure of the business as well? No, it's 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 it's, it's the people, the structure of business, the mold that it has, and the valuation currently. So everything is in favor. Love that, mm-hmm. love that. And then uh, Daniel, final question: If you think back to your younger self, just starting out as an investor, opening up that brokerage uh, uh, as the Berlin Wall comes down, what advice would you give to your younger self? Probably made things the most simple the possible. <laughs> I made mistakes uh, quite often when I tried to prove how good I am, you know, frankly, and I tried to complicate things and overdo things and uh, try to create something just uh, totally unnecessary. And if I, and over time, I, I tended to making things the most, in the most simple way and it's probably the best. So that would be my advice. I love that. I think yeah. we often try and remind ourselves that of, you know, particularly when it comes to investing, it's very easy to get caught up in things have to be different and complicated for it to be successful. Yeah. And sometimes the most simple right in front of you approach is going to be the yeah. best outcome. So great way to finish, Daniel. And we seriously appreciate you taking the time to uh, share your thoughts with us today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. No, I thank you. It was, it was really a pleasure. Thanks, Daniel. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of Equity Mates. We love hearing from you. So drop us a line at contact at equitymates.com or even better, go to your podcast player and leave a five-star review. Also, a reminder that the Equity Mates content train doesn't stop when you've run out of episodes to binge. We've got a brand new website, a Facebook discussion group. We're on Instagram, YouTube, and slowly making our way as an influencer on TikTok. Well, that's Ren. So uh, come and say hello and join the community. We'd love to welcome you. Until next time. Equity Mates Investing Podcast is a product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. Equity Mates gives listeners access to information and educational content provided by a range of financial service professionals. 
It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of Equity Mates Investing Podcast are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Equity Mates Media does not operate under an Australian financial services license and relies on the exemption available under the Corporations Act 2001 in respect of any information or advice given. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast or video. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equity Mates website, where you can find ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equity Mates Media and the hosts of Equity Mates Investing Podcast acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.